You're listening to Childcare Voices. Lack of affordable childcare and low pay for childcare workers is a major cause of poverty and inequality. We are Grow Your Own, an oral history project that is looking to the past for inspiration to tackle the problems we face today. We're on a mission to record the history of childcare organising and share lessons from the past. We've brought together a group of people who are all affected by childcare in some way to research the historical roots of the issues they face. As they look into the past, will they find a solution that helps them? Hello, I'm Ruth, a single mother of three and a campaigner on all things single parent rights. In lockdown, I successfully lobbied the government to introduce support bubbles. Since then, I've set up the group Single Parent Rights, which campaigns for single parents to be added to the Equality Act. Our hope is that this will address the stigma and discrimination single parents face across almost all areas of our lives. In this podcast, I'm going to look at how single parents are coping with the lack of affordable childcare in London and across the UK, and how government policies towards single parents have changed over the past six decades. In this episode, you will hear from Norma Dudley, a single mother in the 1980s, the current UK Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt, and Mary Ann Stevenson, the Director of the Women's Budget Group. As a single parent on maternity leave, I'm at the coalface of the current childcare crisis. Despite having joined four nursery waiting lists back in January 2022 when I was pregnant, I'm yet to secure a space for my just-turned-one-year-old. I've had to delay my return to work for four months and I've still no guarantees of a space for him even then, despite contacting almost every nursery in the borough where I live. I'm lucky to have an understanding employer, but that doesn't detract from the reality of having to take unpaid leave and worrying what will happen come September time when I am due to return to work. My story isn't unique. 43% of local authorities in England don't have enough childcare provision for the current demand for one to two-year-olds, according to the organisation Coram Family and Childcare. Given this situation, I went on a journey of discovery to look at whether these challenges around childcare for single parents are new and what role successive governments have played in this. Back in the 1960s, the number of single parent families had increased significantly to well over 600,000. It was clear to the then Labour government that many single parent families were disadvantaged. In 1969, the government set up a committee on one-parent families. Their remit was to investigate the realities and needs of single parents. This task was so huge, they didn't publish their final report until five years later. The final report, as it was known, made 230 recommendations covering all areas of life for single-parent families. Reading through them reminds me of the exact kind of issues I've experienced personally and seen so many other single parents experience in recent years. The report concluded that single parent families were disadvantaged due to the gender pay gap as most of the single parents, similar to today, were women. 
they identified widespread housing discrimination towards single-parent families and, perhaps the most relevant one for today's discussion, they highlighted a lack of affordable childcare for single parents. Unfortunately, the report didn't usher in the change people had been hoping for. A follow-up report in 1978 revealed that half of the recommendations made had been rejected by the government and only one-fifth of them had been implemented. In the London borough where I now live, one group of mothers took matters into their own hands in the late 1970s. They came together to set up a cooperative nursery to provide childcare for local children using both parents and professional childcare workers. Many of the parents involved in the cooperative were single parents. Norma Dudley was one of these mothers and here she recalls why she joined the group initially. I wasn't working. I was hoping, because of um, lack of childcare, but I was hoping to go back to work eventually. But my actual motivation for joining the nursery, I was a single parent by that time. And so it was for me to get to know people, but also for my son to learn to socialise. It's interesting listening back to Norma's reasoning for getting involved with the cooperative. Although Norma was hoping childcare would help her return to work, that wasn't her main incentive for joining the cooperative. She wanted to meet other parents and give her son the chance to socialise. I've often felt isolated as a single parent, so I can really relate to Norma wanting to make these connections with other parents. Support networks and friends with similar-age children are essential for single parents to provide a safe space to offload and share advice. It seems that somewhere along the line, though, the idea that single parents might need childcare for reasons other than work has been lost. The cost of childcare alone mean using it for anything other than earning money is a near impossibility for many. This last year, I've been caring for my three young children entirely solo, with no access to childcare beyond my older two attending school. It's incredibly hard to find time to keep up with all the jobs involved in running a home and raising three children, let alone trying to keep on top of my own health and well-being. Inevitably, this is always deprioritised. Although in the 1980s, Norma would not have been required to work when her son was so young, like many other single mothers, she chose to take up paid employment outside of the home. The latest statistics show that almost 70% of single parents are now in work, a rate that's very similar to that of married mothers. On a personal note, I've worked throughout my time as a single mother. It was in the late 1990s that the number of single parents in work began to significantly increase due to a number of new policies introduced by the then Labour government. One of these policies was the introduction of Sure Start centres. These centres aimed to give children the best possible start in life through childcare, early years education family support and community development. Hackney was one of the first boroughs to open a Sure Start centre in the UK and I was lucky enough to benefit from this some 20 years later when I enrolled my middle son at the nursery there. Unlike the private nursery I'd used for my older son, the fees were means tested against household income, making it more affordable. Since the change of government in 2010, most Sure Start centres have been closed and with it, this more affordable childcare has gone. 
I had no idea how much difference it would make to nursery fees moving just a few miles away to a different London borough. I'm now being quoted double the fees for a three-day nursery place. The quoted cost of over £1,000 a month represents a huge proportion of my take-home pay before I even consider wraparound care for my two older children. All of this so I can work to pay for the costs of these childcare fees. These high fees aren't uncommon in the UK. We have one of the most expensive childcare systems in the world, despite childcare workers being amongst the lowest paid workers in society. 84% of childcare providers in the UK are privately owned, meaning providers are also trying to make a profit in this already overstretched market. Norma highlights how the challenge of costs and full-time work have been a problem for single parents for some time. I remember being having an accusation from someone I knew in the Labour Party who said, oh, well, it's only middle-class affluent women who can afford to work part-time. And I remember being furious because mm. actually I couldn't afford to work mm. part-time. Mm. I was terribly poor and I had to have benefits to top up my income. Mm. But I couldn't see how I could work full-time because I couldn't afford childcare. Many of us cannot afford to work full-time. In 1997, the Labour MP Harriet Harman highlighted the additional childcare costs single parents faced compared with other families in a key speech in Parliament. When I returned to work from my first maternity leave as a single parent in 2014, I requested to work part-time in a large part because of these childcare costs. The lack of affordable childcare doesn't only impact single parents, of course. All families in the UK are struggling with a lack of childcare and the extortionate fees that are being charged. This was one of the main reasons why childcare was a key part of the 2023 spring budget. Many single parents, myself included, were hoping for good news and initially we thought we'd received it when the Chancellor Jeremy Hunt announced an increase in support for childcare costs for those of us entitled to universal credit, together with the expansion of the 30 hours of funded childcare. I want to help the 700,000 parents on universal credit who until the reforms I announced today had limited requirements to look for work. And we will increase the maximum they can claim to £951 for one child and £1,630 for two children, an increase of almost 50%. Unfortunately, this additional support for childcare costs through universal credit has come with some very strict conditions. Single parents are now expected to work additional hours or face sanctions on their benefits. In practice, these sanctions mean single parents can lose 60% of their universal credit payment every month. The next set of employment reforms affects those on universal credit without a health condition who are looking for work or on low earnings. There are more than 2 million job seekers in this group, more than enough to fill every vacancy in the economy. Independence is always better than dependence. So sanctions will be applied more rigorously to those who fail to meet strict work search requirements or choose not to take up a reasonable job offer. While the Chancellor didn't give much detail of these changes during his budget speech, the Department for Work and Pensions have quietly released plans to increase the work requirements for single parents to 30 hours a week once their youngest turns three. 
Over the years, there has been a gradual tightening of the rules surrounding single parents in receipt of benefits. Prior to 2008, single parents out of work weren't required to take up paid employment until their youngest turned 16, although of course many did. This age limit was gradually lowered to 15 years, then 11, followed by 9, and then it was moved down to 6. By 2012, single parents were expected to work from the time their youngest turned 4. In 2017, this was lowered to 3 years of age, the first time parents of preschool-aged children were subject to work requirements to continue to receive state benefits. Now we're starting to see the pressures on single parents increase in other ways, as the government increases the number of hours single parents must work. Previously, single parents were required to work 16 hours a week. Under these new plans, that will almost double to 30 hours. The sanctions single parents are subject to have also changed over the years, most notably with the number of weeks over which sanctions can apply being increased. All of this is putting more and more pressure on single-parent families. When I posted news of this policy on the Single Parent Rights social media channels, I was inundated with comments from single parents about their worries of what this would mean for them and their children. Many feared this change would break them. I requested to speak with the Minister for Work and Pensions, but they were unavailable for this podcast. When I asked their office about the changes to work requirements and childcare, initially they only mentioned the change to childcare support through universal credit and failed to mention the change in the work requirements themselves. This seems especially telling given it is this part of the policy which is causing single parents sleepless nights. I spoke with Mary Ann Stevenson, the director of the Women's Budget Group, to ask her what she makes of the current childcare system, the government's planned changes and the impact on single parent families. Mary-Anne, thanks ever so much for taking the time to speak to me today. What do you see as the biggest childcare challenge facing single parents in the UK? Well, I think there's two things. I think there's a general challenge, which is that we have a crisis of affordability and availability of childcare in the UK. So we know that childcare has become increasingly unaffordable. Cost of childcare has increased faster than inflation for many years now. So even prior to the cost of living crisis, we already had that problem with childcare. And there are parts of the country where it's very difficult to find good childcare. And this disproportionately impacts single parents because the costs of childcare are coming out of one salary and the time available around childcare is one parent. So there is one parent to do the drop off and pick up. So it's like an underlying crisis in childcare that is massively exacerbated for lone parents because of their circumstances, both in terms of being able to afford childcare, but also in terms of of needing childcare, um, not having another parent to share day-to-day care with. Do you think that our current childcare system in the UK takes into account the needs of single parents' families? No. I mean, in as much as we don't have a childcare system in the UK that works for parents more generally, and it's harder for single parents. So, for example, 
the free hours that are funded by the government are not funded at a level which actually covers the cost of delivering those hours. This means that childcare providers have to cross-subsidise. They charge more for the paid-for hours in order to make up for the shortfall in the, the so-called free hours. And that puts up costs for parents. But I also think there's probably a failure to recognise that if you're going to have a certain number of free hours, then lone parents might need more than parents in couples. And earlier this year, the Chancellor announced increasing the amount available for childcare for those on universal credit by almost 50%. What do you think of this change? What was interesting about the announcements in the budget was that they did mark a recognition from the government that they needed to do something about childcare. Unfortunately, what they've done isn't necessarily enough. And I think our concern is that the extension of childcare for people on universal credit goes hand in hand with a greater level of work requirement. And there's a number of reasons why we think this is a problem. First of all, early years education is important for all children and all children should be able to benefit from it whether or not their parents are in paid work. Secondly, it can be really hard for lone parents to increase their working hours because of the care for children. And you could be in a situation, for example, where you have you could have a disabled child who requires large amounts of care at home and a parent is trying to do the small amount of work that's possible around that. It might well be beneficial for another child in that family to be able to be in childcare for some of that time when when their siblings being cared for, and it would certainly make life easier for a parent. But if you've got that sort of assumption that more spending on childcare means a greater obligation to work, then that puts pressure on people who are not in a situation where they can increase their hours of paid work or undertake paid work, and we're concerned that that might lead to higher rates of sanction against lone parents. You know, we're aware that there's been various points where there's been pressure on job centre staff to increase the sanction rate. And that has led to particular groups of people being disproportionately likely to be sanctioned. And so in those sorts of situations where you've got increased sanction, it doesn't help people get into work. It doesn't make life easier. It just impoverishes, um, in the case of lone parents, almost entirely women and their families. You know, the problem with the work requirement is it implies that you've got this bunch of kind of lazy layabouts who, who need to be pushed and prodded and forced into work. Well, actually, what we're talking about is women who are working incredibly hard to try and support themselves and their children and to provide their children with the care they need. We already have a huge issue of child poverty in this country. We know that nearly half of children in lone parent families are living in poverty. So the idea that you somehow one of the policy tools you do to to deal with that is to cut off people's benefits is simply inhumane. The funding model that we have is deeply flawed. In some parts of the country, you have large kind of multinational childcare chains where the profits from that childcare may well be going out of the country. We don't know what tax is being paid on those profits, whether they're paying tax in the UK or overseas. That's an issue. Childcare should be expensive in that 
we need to recognize that it involves skilled work and it involves the most precious people in our lives who are our children. But the cost of childcare shouldn't kind of rest where it falls. It should be spread across society as a whole because it is a benefit to society as a whole, which is why we need high levels of government investment. You know, one of the things that we saw with COVID was the extent to which we all benefit from childcare provision. When nurseries were closed and childcare providers were closed, employers suddenly realised what an impact it had on them if their employees couldn't get to work. The government had to keep nurseries open for the children of key workers. Otherwise, our hospitals would have closed and our supermarkets would have closed. You know, if I want to get an appointment with my GP, I benefit from the fact that she has access to childcare because uh, otherwise she can't be there to have an appointment with me. So childcare is a form of infrastructure in the way that roads or rail or telecoms are, that it's not just a benefit to the people who are using it at that moment, it's a benefit to a whole load of other people as well. In an ideal world, what childcare system would you like to see for single parent families? Free universal childcare with staff paid um, at a decent rate, you know, in line with primary school teachers rather than the low pay that they currently receive. And, you know, we've calculated that around three quarters of the cost of that would be recouped from more people in paid work, paying taxes, uh, lower levels of benefit claims and so on. And as I said, we think that should be seen as a form of investment in social infrastructure. And I think that would work better for lone parents than the current system of the kind of carrot of free hours and the stick of sanctions, because it's actually about saying, look, this is a basic service in the same way as primary education is a basic service. You know, all children in our community are entitled to early years education and everybody benefits from that. And within that, you need to think about things like opening hours. You need to think about how you make things work for the shift workers and so on and so forth. I think that would work better for lone parents in the current situation that we've got. Speaking with Mary Ann from the Women's Budget Group was really interesting. When I started looking into this topic, I hadn't realised that the challenges single parents face now had been so similar for decades. It's quite depressing, given we think as a society we're moving forward. The worst thing in all of this is that we seem to be getting further from a solution that meets the needs of single parents and their children. Back in the 1970s and 80s, there was a movement to improve childcare. Cooperatives provided a lifeline for people locally and the establishment of Sure Start centres built on this with affordable childcare. While this system wasn't completely successful in its mission, it did make a big difference. As a society, we've dismantled much of this investment. The current government's approach appears to make our lives harder by introducing unworkable policies such as the 30 hours work requirement, despite a national lack of affordable childcare. The people impacted by such policies aren't faceless individuals. They're loving, hard-working, dedicated parents trying to do their best for their children whilst also contributing to society. They are the doctors, the cleaners, the nurses, the teaching assistants, the carers and many others we all rely on. Yet instead of being supported by the system, 
they're being let down. After all, childcare is infrastructure. It's not only needed by the families that use it, it's needed by everyone to enable society to function. I'm still searching for the elusive nursery space so I can return to work. With many of my local nurseries reporting a three-year waiting list, I'm not holding my breath for anything anytime soon. This journey of investigation into childcare and single parents, past and present, has shown me clearly that there is only one way out of the current crisis, and that is for a fully funded government childcare system. For single parent families, this must be done in combination with the relaxing of the strict work requirements for those with young children, in recognition that single parents already work hard inside the home. Single-parent families, like mine, should be allowed to thrive, not merely survive. Whether any political party will be brave enough to promise this Mecca is yet to be seen. You've been listening to Child Care Voices. This episode was written and produced by Ruth Talbot. The series was made as part of a training course run by Hannah Kemp-Welch with support from Rosa Schling and Veronica Deutsch. Sound design by Hannah Kemp-Welch. Thank you to Nanny Solidarity Network for the crash. The Grow Your Own Oral History Project is run by On The Record and funded by Trust for London. Find out more at on-the-record.org.uk or follow us on Twitter at growyourown underscore OHP.